It's Megacon from March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Megacon is the Southeast's largest comic book, science fiction, fantasy, anime, gaming, toys, multimedia event. The showroom has over 110,000 square feet of exhibitor space. Meet your favorite comic book artists, get autographs from your favorite celebrities, enter a costume contest, visit continuous anime viewing rooms, view the Indie Film Festival, and so much more. You don't want to miss it. One-day tickets are $24.49 in advance, $30 at the door. Or go for all three days for just $58.04 in advance or $60 at the door. I, Scott Gardner, will be there Saturday, March 16th from open to close, wandering the floor in my Two True Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's Megacon, March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center, Hall D, that's 9800 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Be there. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? Humans make illogical decisions. Destruct sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock. I'm talking to Mr. Spock. You understand? Starfleet, do you read? This is the Enterprise. We are under attack. Violet Scott. And welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday number 49. I am your co host, Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hello, my co host. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good. And Star uh, Trek, I like Star Trek. Yeah, we got a real exciting <laughs> episode this month. Well, you know, I, well, maybe it's I should like just say this. It's like a door suddenly opening and closing shut. On my fingers. Damn oh. it. 
Um, <laughs> all right, already right, I can tell this is going to be a, a bizarre episode. Um, I don't know about you. I got really nothing for preamble at all. Um, not really much going on for me personally in the world of Star Trek. Um, yeah. I actually have something for the next episode, for the next generation uh, for beforehand, but really nothing in the world of... I, I did... Um, oh, actually... Yeah, I actually I got a um a package in the mail from my good buddy Scott Gardner, uh-huh. <laughs> which was it was like a it was like a co package from Scott Gardner and Dave Atterbury because it was a lot of the stuff that Dave Atterbury had <laughs> uh, had brought to a Star Wars celebration that I wasn't able to bring home, but man, I added to my Star Star Trek collection with that a lot of Star Trek novels, of uh of the old school variety. Of you know of the uh, original series uh, based novels, a few more Shatner ones I noticed, and one log four, which is one of the logs that I don't have, <laughs> which is just a really weird sentence <laughs> context. That's disgusting. So and and a whole bunch of uh, DC. I think it was the second series of, uh, like, the late yeah. 90s series of original series, you know, Kirk-based Star Trek and some Next Generation. Mm-hmm. A couple Next Generations, too. And a couple Nightmare on Elm Street magazine-sized <laughs> comics, which uh, were quite a treat. Written by Steve Gerber, so there you go. Mm-hmm. With the origin of Freddy Krueger, he can't beat that. There was a mishmash of stuff in that box, mm-hmm. so I, I I knew that you'd get a kick out of that, and it was long overdue. Oh, some Mc, McFarlane figures of uh, the Thing, the John Carpenter Thing right. creatures. Those are great. <laughs> I was showing my roommate those, and she's like, "Those are really ugly." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, they are." <laughs> See, I can't wait to get to that that second series of of TOS, you know, the, the DC uh, TOS series, because those you look know, really good. It, it does look really good. And I was reading it a while back. I was actually working my way through that stuff. And, and the bulk of it, at, at least at the beginning, was written by Peter David. And it's really, really good track. And somebody posted up on the on the forum, you know, when we started doing our, you know, when we resumed our comics coverage, they were like, all right, this is awesome. There's only like, I, I think it's like 20-something or 30-something more issues until you get to the Baxter series, which is so much better and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, yeah, dude, that's like, two or three years you know because we're only covering an issue you know each month so even though it may be only 20 or 30 issues you're still talking quite a while yeah. you know it'll, it'll be a while before we get there unless we end up doubling up or something but i don't see that happening again anytime soon it seems just to go by real time goes by fairly quickly i mean um right i, I think it'll be uh, when did our first podcast come out in the in october was it August? I think it was August of uh, of two thousand eight. So basically, this August will be, you know, at that date, whenever that came out, that date in August will be our will be five years. I know that's crazy. Podcasting, man, it does not seem that long, does it at all? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> 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 no, it's it's you know it's it's like everything else in life. You know, there's there's sometimes I look at it and think, 
Jesus, you know, we've been doing this for, and then there's other days it's like, wow, really five years already. So yeah, it, it just depends on, you know, what your perspective and your mood. I guess. Oh, well. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. There you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll trade the fame for riches any day. The fame. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go anywhere. <laughs> but, uh, we do. Speaking of fame, we do have a uh, an email. Just one this time around, but it's from our good buddy Paul Riches. And he identifies himself as Paul Scoop Riches this time around. And uh, he writes about, he just says, Star Trek Monthly Monday. He says, hello, freaks. He says, love the show, even though I am woefully behind right now in my listening. We have best get caught up. He says, I loved your coverage and analysis of the Star Trek graphic novel, Debt of Honor. He says, I got this one in in hardcover way back when it first came out. Over the years, I have managed to get both Chris uh, Claremont and uh, Hughes uh, to sign it. He said, oh, awesome. He says, Claremont wrote in it. Go boldly always where no one has gone before. Uh, when Hughes signed it, he wrote, Once there, try the dip. <laughs> <laughs> says, uh, One point I was surprised you did not pick up on was the subtext of Tekur. Uh, this daughter of Tassel, born after the destruction of the Farragut, uh, after Tassel and Kirk were alone for a bit of... Ah! And the daughter's name is Tekur. T uh, apostrophe K I R. Once or twice, they even draw to Kerr with Kirk's hair. To I remember, yeah, <laughs> I remember my mind being blown when I realized this halfway through. Da- you know what? I I feel like I'm friggin' moron that I didn't catch I that. I didn't even pick up on that either. Totally didn't catch that. Uh, since when I mentioned these facts to Claremont, he just smiled and said, "Maybe." What do you think? Uh, anyway, just wanted to mention that. And tell you again how much I love the shows, all 50 of them. Uh, Paul Scoop Riches. That's awesome, dude. And again, you, man, you, yeah, you not only blew my mind, but you made me feel just totally stupid because I did. I completely missed that. As a matter of fact, I think in my synopsis, I all but eliminated her just because that is one meaty book. And I was trying not to go on and on and on with, you know, every I detail. Mean, right. It, it's yeah, hard, exactly. Yeah. So things had to get kind of kind of shoehorned in. And I think I only had just the briefest of mentions of that character. So, yeah. But wow. Hmm. Well, that not really makes me feel, you know, e- that it's even a bigger shame that 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 wasn't really ever followed up on. There was a sort of half-ass sequel to that story where um remember jamie finney goes off at the end of that story with uh with what's his face the the klingon and she becomes like his first officer and everything right right that was actually followed up on in a star trek the next generation i think it was a special where where she came back and was basically interacting with with uh, Picard and Riker and stuff, and I just remember that being a bizarre read because it was like they treated her like she was like an old buddy of theirs, and they knew her, and she didn't look like she'd aged a day and everything. And I'm going, how the hell does this work? You know, I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. That, to my knowledge, is the only you know, continuation of Dead of Honor. And if I'm wrong about that, if somebody else knows differently that there were other, you know, continuations, please let me know. But that's the only one that I was ever aware of. So this idea of, of Takur, 
you know, being uh, being Kirk's you know daughter with to sell. I I like that idea. Honestly, how many kids do you think are scattered around the, oh, the galaxy? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But that's it. That's all we got for emails. I and like I said, I got nothing for uh, for preamble really. <laughs> are we ready already? So, to are, are we ready to take a big old shoulder roll into this uh, episode? <laughs> I think we are. It's a classic. That which survives. Wait, you must not go. I am for you, Mr. Watkins. I want to touch you. Please continue, Mr. Scott. But if the probe doesn't precisely match the magnetic flow, there'll be an explosion. Please commence. I'll explain. But there's no time. Push the button. Six seconds. Five seconds. Four seconds. Three seconds. Two seconds. One. It's gone. The Enterprise, it's gone. Okay, so that which survives. I totally failed to write down when uh, when this episode first aired. Oh, well. yeah, exactly. All right, so the synopsis for this one out of the Nitpicker's Guide for Classic Trekkers reads: After discovering an unusual planet, Kirk beams down with McCoy, Sulu, and senior geologist. I can't talk. Senior geologist Lieutenant D'Amato. Guess which one of them's not going to come back to the Enterprise. Simultaneously, a woman appears and kills the transporter chief. Moments later, a tremor rocks the planet and the Enterprise disappears. Without the ship, the landing party faces starvation and dehydration. I don't know why that's funny, but it is. Uh, a more immediate danger exists, however. A short time later, the woman, named Losira, reappears and kills Diamato. When she comes for Sulu, Kirk determines that she is programmed to kill only one person at a time and must touch that person to accomplish her task. From then on, they protect the one she has, quote-unquote, come for. Meanwhile, Spock calculates that some energy force has thrown the Enterprise more than 990 light-years away from the planet. He sets a return course. On the surface, McCoy, uh, Kirk, and Sulu... Uh, come upon an underground entrance and soon arrive at a control room. The planet was constructed as an outpost for the long-dead Kalendon uh, civilization. It is still functioning in defensive mode and suddenly creates three different versions of Lucera, one for each of the landing party. Thankfully, Spock arrives in time to destroy the Kalendon. Is it Kalendon? Kalendon? I forget how she pronounces it. Anyway, destroy the uh, main computer and save their lives. And that is that which survives. So what did you think of this gem? Huh? What? (laughs) (laughs) This one stands out for me. I guess you could say stands out because. Oh, and I'm trying to remember his last name. But he was this big dumb kid that we went to school. School. His name was Jay, something. 
And he was just, we could call him Jay, or we could call him Ray. Ray. Just don't call him Johnson, but I can't remember his last name, but he's just kind of this dumb, happy-go-lucky dumb kid. kid. Hmm, let's see. That was the whole rest of the graduating <laughs> class, I think. But he was the first person. He was like, oh, you like Star Trek? And he, he had a Star Trek book at home, and he brought, and it was one of the James Blish Star Trek books, and it was the first one I got my hands on. And the first story in it was That Which Survives. <laughs> and I remember reading it. And to James Blish's credit, I could visualize... I saw. I read it before I saw that episode. And I could see... When I saw the episode, it was exactly like he'd written it. You know, he described the way... The special effect of how the women would disappear... To a T. Other than that... This is like one of those episodes that it's like it's not horrible. Mhm. It's 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 not la it's not Spock's brain, although it looks like they basically use the same sort of set for, you know, from Spock's brain. I was expecting whatever her name was to go brains and brains, what are brains? <laughs> and uh but it's not very good either, you know. It's, you know, it's just it's, there. It's funny you say that because I didn't even I didn't even think this until you just now mentioned that. I th I wonder if that's why I thought this one sucked a lot worse than it does because I actually didn't think it was bad. Rewatching it again, I actually watched it twice because I I was watching it real late the other night and I think I dozed off a little bit toward the end of it, which is not exactly a glowing endorsement. But it was late, you know, I was trying to watch it late on the iPad and everything. And I think I dozed off at the end and I realized I'd taken notes, I'd, I'd paid attention right up until the end. And then I, I kind of missed the whole reason why everything was happening. So I went back to watch it again to take more notes and really pay more attention on like the conclusion of the episode. Like what what happened? What was the deal? Because somehow I just missed it anyway. Both times it really struck me that, you know, it's not a great episode. But I remembered this one like like Randy was saying that this one just sucks hard, yeah. and it doesn't. It really doesn't. And I, now with you saying what you said about uh, you know brains and brains, I'm wondering if somehow I had confused it with another one with weird alien women because there's several different episodes with like freaky alien women that are yeah. messing with the the members of the Enterprise, and I'm I'm wondering if somehow we had crossed wires and and were confusing it with other episodes that that. Are yeah. you know, like Spock's brain, and for know? the world is hollow, and I have touched the yeah. skies. Another one, yeah, yeah. So this this that... one has interesting stuff going on, and it's got like a lot of. It's like I guess Walter Koenig must have been on vacation, but uh, he's mentioned, but not in the. He's not. But shown. he's not. Yeah, yeah they they bring too, him yeah. up, but the, you've got the the strange. I I, I guess she has a what a, a bindi on her on her forehead. Either that, or she hit herself when the Enterprise was getting jostled around. But the, you've got the uh, Indian lady who's who's navigating. I could swear that she had something to do with the plot in this one. But again, I think that's a, <laughs> a, another symptom of me confusing this episode it's with another else. one because there's that episode. Um, Mirror, mirror. Well, she she mirror. looks very much like the woman who keeps yeah. showing up, and and I was wondering if maybe there was gonna be something that I forgotten where they used her as a prototype of a woman or something. But at, at first, I was like trying to figure out is that the same actress, you know, right, playing both of them. 
But no. Plus, but the- I thought she looked a lot like the woman that played the first Klingon woman that we ever mm-hmm. saw. And so I looked it up, and it wasn't her. But she does look a lot like her too. But the Navigator woman, not a very good actress at all. She was kind of, <laughs> no. she was kind of stiff and stilted. But um, it had a it had a neat wiggly set when when the planet was jostling around where yes. where they were it looked like it reminded me of the the hill Kimura festival that was when whenever <laughs> whenever the world earth would shake it looked like that you know they'd have a set that would be moving on all different axes and that looked like uh, it was fun for them to get tumbled around on you know this show often gets criticized for being made on the cheap and everything but they they put some money into this one because they constructed several new things for this episode that was one of them was that it wasn't quite on a on a gimbal necessarily, but it was right. kind of that idea. You know, it was kind of that idea of of let's try to make this a little less a bunch of big styrofoam rocks. And, you know, when there's an earthquake, let's try to simulate that. Now, you know, yeah, it still looks pretty cheesy, but it's better than what they had been doing. It was up fun. To yeah. No, yeah, it was, it was it, pretty cool. It was just, it was just fun. Um, but. You know, when 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 you got your crew members dies on the planet, I always wonder, why do they cover them with rocks? Why don't they just take their phaser and do the bum from you know Edith Keeler days and just shoot them and make them disappear? Oh, that's you know? that's harsh. What? Well, I don't really? I don't know though. At the same rate, maybe that would be a little bit humane. I I think the reason that. Like in this episode, what they do with Diamato and like what Picard does with Kirk and Generations and everything. I, I, I'm guessing. I want to call him Lieutenant the, Clamato. <laughs> Clamato. I think the the reasoning behind that. Uh, this is just my guess. Would be that they're hoping that they can come back and retrieve and the him. body later and give him a proper, you know, burial or or whatever. Burial in space. So I, I guess really, what does it matter at that point? You know where. Just... Well, I'm. I would assume that they they're still trying to go by you know whatever you know like I think if they'd Kirk want to was... do an autopsy. Yeah. Well, not necessarily even an autopsy, but you know, like respect their wishes kind of thing. You know, because we we learned mm. in like Star Trek three, you know, Spock, you know, specifically requested to be you know buried in space or burned up in an atmosphere, whatever the deal was with the torpedo thing. You know, Kirk, who knows? You know, whatever his religion or whatever <laughs> was. You know, he may have been requested to you know, bury me back in Iowa or, you know, launch me to space or in, you know, we don't know. So I'm assuming this is meant as some half-assed preservation of the body until, you know, a proper retrieval and interment or whatever can be, can be performed. I, that's just a guess, but that's what I'm thinking, you know, as opposed to just like you said, you know, incinerate the body or make a meal out of them or whatever. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, there was your food and water right there. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's why they were preserving him because they knew that he might end up having to be, you know, lunch. He might have to be their lunch later on. They can just put the phasers on stun and warm him up like a microwave. (laughs) Uh, You know, go ahead. ahead. I was just, I, I mean, I've got a ton of notes, but no, you could go ahead, run, run through yours. Um, we had a reference to the Horda, which was, yep. uh, which was nice. It was, but that was like Spock just killing time. Just like maybe the rocks are alive. And it's just like, what, what do you, why? Okay. Whatever. <laughs> the Christmas yeah. rocks, they were all like Christmas color reflective rocks. Sulu in this one kind of reminds me of that, that guy you got at the office. That's always trying to like butt into conversations just you know to, to fit in with everybody else and everybody else is just kind of always like 
either ignoring him or kind of being like, yeah, yeah, right. Out. Go, go get back to work kind of thing. He has one of my favorite lines, though, this time. I don't want to have to kill a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so there's still some space sexism going on. <laughs> no problem killing a spaceman, but be ashamed to kill. And you and, and Sulu's not exactly what you call, like, you know, it's not like he's going to be like, oh, damn, waste of a good woman. But, you know... I don't know if it's been readily apparent all along in the almost five years we've been doing this show, but uh, I'm no you know, biologist. I, I don't know if I've ever really pointed that out before. So that being you know, my confession for this time around, am I wrong in believing that a cell is mostly made up of water? Yes. No, you're not Isn't wrong. Isn't that true? Right. Yes. Okay. So several times it's stated that the way she's killing the people in this episode is that she's rupturing every cell in their body, right? Right. So if that's the case, wouldn't D'Amato and the transporter chief and Sulu's shoulder be really ugly and horribly messed up and like all watery and pussy and exploded and everything if she had actually done that? It would be, it, it, well, eventually. I, I think eventually it would probably be like um, gangrene or something. You know, you would have dead, you would have big chunks of dead flesh you know it'd be like a burn really you just have where you have cell death you know so you, it would be like getting chunks taken out of you it would just take a while for it to sort of soften up and rot off <laughs> but yeah it would it would be a mess and what i couldn't figure out is it was a weird thing where it was like okay you know she was you are intruders and she was trying to destroy the ship and and stuff like that but at the same time weren't they trying to say that what the whole like you know i've made myself for this person wasn't that supposed to be for like other members of their race who would come back and would sort of get a little genetic wasn't that supposed to be like here we'll update your genes so that the sickness that we got that wiped us out won't kill you but no, I no idea. But I, it was I, killing us because we were humans. Because she was like, you know, right? Because she was like, I don't want to cause you any harm. But if she didn't want to cause him any harm, why was she trying to destroy the Enterprise? I, I what I, I didn't had, get that, you know. What I had surmised from that was that it was basically it was it was kind of this has become kind of a cliche in Trek in a lot of ways. I feel it was basically it was the programming of the computer versus the humanity of the person that the computer was modeled on. Right. So the computer's mission was defend the planet, defend the outpost at all costs, kill the intruders, you but know, there was enough of her personality and exactly. the algorithm to exactly to... It, it. It had taken its, its template from Locira and so her innate goodness, humanity, yeah. whatever you want to call it, was kind of superimposing itself on the computer program. And that's why she would perform her duty as program. But then she felt badly about she didn't want to be doing what she was doing, which, you know, I guess in a weird sort of way that makes her sort of related to um, um, Ilea yeah. in a weird kind of way. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, again, not not bad. And 
I appreciated Lee Merriweather in this role. Now watching it now, many because I've only ever seen this episode just a couple of times. But I appreciated her now in a way I never really did as a kid because I could see the subtleties of her performance. Like when she would she would kind of get stymied and, and you could see the struggle. Like like yes. it was like the, the human versus the computer struggle and her eyes would flutter. And so I thought it was very subtle, but you know, pretty well done. I, I think what hurts that the the her performance and, and kind of the overall episode though is that she has a really like goofy look that outfit just doesn't do it somehow. You know, they, they, I think they needed to tone back the whole, you know, space go-go look and, and just kind of go with, I don't know, something, I don't know what, but just a little less, you know, space chicky. You know what I mean? She, right, she just right. looks kind of silly. I don't know. Maybe that's not a valid criticism. Well, that at, you was know, at just the time, maybe it looked just fine. That was the style of the show, though. You know, the right, show yeah. like if you have a female alien, she's going to be dressed kind of nice. Well, you know, this was very much, you know, third season. I, mm -hmm. I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that kind of took over for Roddenberry, you know, there, there's a famous story about this guy. Damn, I can't think of what his name is, but he stepped in for Roddenberry when Roddenberry was out after season two. And basically, when they showed him episodes and everything to kind of bring him up to speed on what the project was, he was his famous quote is something to the effect of, oh, I get it. Space tits, you know, which is kind of in a lot of ways, that's what season three is in yeah. many episodes. And it kind of translates into this one a little bit, too, I think. But again, you know, not a bad episode. I mean, not at all. The, you know, the, the, the just horrible thing I was expecting it was going yeah. to be. Not a, it was an easy job for the uh, the people who do the um, cleaned up and expanded versions of it, yeah. the sp special versions of it, because it wasn't really you know the planet looked nicer from space and you know the the there's always a nice shot of the Enterprise and you know you always get a good shot of the Enterprise to redo. Not a lot for them to really to really tweak up or anything. Even the special effect with you know Scotty and the tube. Um, I like where I like the shot where, you know, Spock is t droning on and Scotty just sort of like leans back in the tube and is laying there just going, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know what episode we used it in, you know, or what, but I don't I remember using a lot of Scotty dialogue from this episode when we were doing Battle in Outer Space Wars. I have no idea what chapter of the story it was or what the deal was. I had completely forgotten, you know, everything that that happened with the whole subplot and this about, you know, the Enterprise is going to blow up and all that. But when he started talking, it was funny because I could actually quote along with Scotty mm -hmm. and I'm going, wow, Where's I know this from? dialogue so well, you know, but it was from something we had we'd literally just swiped it from this episode and reused it, you know, for our for our own stuff. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, something isn't right in this episode when it comes to warp speeds and things like that, because for one, they end up going up to warp. What is it? Warp 14 or something. Yeah. Something, something not. Yeah. By, you know, by the time of next gen, it's clearly defined that warp 10 is like that unachievable, you know, like basically infinity or something, you know, you're like, you can go right to the edge of it. But if you hit that, you're basically like, 
I, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, some weird thing, you know, some weird like top out, you know, they can't go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So I remember hearing somewhere where they like recalibrated warp speeds between the two series. Well, that's what or I was going to say. Shit. Warp 10 might just be the limit, but they might just be moving the limit, you know, all the time, right. you know. But one thing that definitely doesn't make sense to me. And again, if somebody out there listening knows a, a good explanation for this, please clue me in because I'm lost. All right. Now, granted, they were teleported a thousand light years away, right? They, they establish that rate when they figure out something has, has happened. And then again, something goes all piss wacky with the engines to where they get cranked up to, to warp 14 on the way back. So maybe this is the explanation for what I'm going for. But again, it's a thousand light years. They get back from that in the, in the course of the episode. And I get the feeling that not a whole lot of time went by maybe a day at most. Uh huh. So that's a thousand light years in Voyager. They get thrown across the galaxy 70,000 light years, which is only 70 times. I thought they said it was only 99 light years. It was not, it was 990 point, you know, it was was Spock being that I'm going to get onto that thing in just a minute with Spock. But, you know, somebody says, well, we were thrown a thousand light years. And then Spock is like, well, I wish you'd be more precise. It was actually 990 point, whatever. And everybody looks at him like, screw you, Spock, you know. But anyway, say you know, for simple math, say it's a thousand. So you got a thousand light years, takes them a better part of a day, but they make it back in a day. Well, in Voyager, they get thrown 70,000 light years away. It's going to take them an entire lifetime to get back. I, I think they said something in that series, like 75, 80 years. Yeah, something meanwhile, they should be back. back in like three months. <laughs> right? Yeah. It doesn't seem, I uh, know warp speeds. I understand where they might have to recalibrate that whole thing, but you can't recalibrate physical distance. Right. Right. So how the hell does that work? Somebody needs to explain that to me because I'm missing something there. The, again, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, they were they were teleported that distance and then there was something screwed up with the warp drive on the way back. So maybe that's the no prize for that is that they were actually traveling at some ridiculous enhancement of warp speed to get back in that day that it that it took them uh, again. It's just a guess, though. I don't I have yeah. no idea, but it doesn't mesh up with what comes later. That that was my whole point with that. Um. What else? What else? No sympathy whatsoever for the dead transporter chief. None at all. I mean, they acknowledge that the guy died and it's like, hey, can you tell me what he died of? But there's never like, oh, Joe or anything. Right. It's like he's just dead, which I think was kind of Randy's bitch the last time, you know, when the last episode when we had him on, he was saying the same thing about that episode. It's like these guys die and nobody sheds a tear for him, you know? Um. Some great moments in this with Kirk in command, which this might seem like a strange thing to say, but a lot of times I feel like we don't really see Kirk being um, the captain, you know, know, like a leader. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, he'll beam down and he'll get in a bare knuckle fist fight and, you know, he'll get tore up and stuff like that. But I'm talking like real world, like barking orders, being in command, you know, kind of cracking the whip and making the guys, you know, up to and do what he wants to do. He does a lot of that in this episode. And I like seeing stuff like that. It reminds you that, oh yeah, he's in charge. 
you know, rather than just he he's the action figure of the episode. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference there. But it, it was cool. He does it several times in this. You know, he, he's doing the whole, you know, I want answers and I want them right damn now and that sort of thing. I like that with Kirk. Um, I always thought that the whole moving while transporting thing was was something they came up with in Star Trek 2 because I remember so many people having an issue with that where they could actually move and actually hold conversations while beaming. But in the beginning of this episode, they're conscious and, and aware of when Locira comes in and takes mm-hmm. out the transporter chief because they actually comment on it as soon as they materialize on the planet. They're like, hey, did you see that? Well, they show them like their eyes going like, holy shit. And there's nothing yeah. they can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool. Though. I really I got a, I got a kick out of that. Uh, last thing I really got for this one, and this is my biggest note. What ruins this episode, though, is Spock. I don't know if it's Nimoy or if this is the way he was written for this particular episode. He's a dick. Yeah, he is. He's and more he's like just... early Spock when they didn't quite yes. have him down, the officious yeah. Spock. He's off character in this. He really is. He's, Although he's... you have always said if Spock, when Spock is captain, you wouldn't like him. And it was showing no. in this. He was just being his, you know... Over it was like early data too, you know, too, yeah. you know, bound in the in the numbers literal. and literal stuff. Yeah, yeah. he yeah, he was he under was. understanding sarcasm in humans pretty good right now to where he wasn't correcting them on every, you know, non-literal thing they would say. Yeah, I, I failed to note who the writer was on this episode and, and if he or she had done other episodes or if this was like their first crack at track or, I, you know, any of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't oh, a I Ted no Sturgeon idea. or a Fontana. Right. DC Fontana. <laughs> this time so I, I, I don't know if that maybe explains it, but yeah, this was almost like a like proto Spock or something because yeah. he just wasn't getting the nuances of you know, human behavior versus, you know, Vulcan rigid logic and all that. And he was getting it. He was just being a jerk about it. He was just pointing it out and, you know, he was pointing it out at every opportunity and people are like, yeah, yeah, we know Spock, you don't, you're not (laughs) logical. You don't have to, you know, we're not rubbing it in your face. We're just being, uh, yeah, it was awkward. Yeah, he was, he was really bad in this one. I thought, but other than that, other than that, I didn't think it was actually, you know, half as bad as what I was expecting it to be, because I was really expecting it to be just utter crap. And, you know, it was all right. Not the greatest, but it was all right. But that's all I got for this one. You got anything else on uh, that which survives? No, I know what time it is. I don't need a <laughs> cuckoo clock. <laughs> I love that line. All right. So let's take a briefest of briefy breaks and uh, we'll come back with some DC Star Trek comics do we have to sure (laughs) Deacon the Geek is a podcast for the geek and everyone please join your host Peregrine and D-Man each week as they discuss all the things that geek guys love to talk about from the sci-fi fantasy and comic genres for movies TVs comics novels and games seek out Definitive Geek Available on iTunes or at infinitegeek.automatic.com. And 
and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday. We are in the comic booky part, and <laughs> the comic books that we are reading are the DC Star Trek comics. And for this month's, we will have Scott Gardner will be giving you the synopsis. No. Okay, this is Star Trek number 38 from DC Comics. 75 cents was the original price on this. This is the May 1987 issue that was actually on sale February 12th, 1987. That's according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. And he also gives cover credits because I couldn't find any cover credits on this. But according to Mike's site, Joe uh, Brazowski was the uh, penciler on the cover and Robert Smith, Bob Smith, was the uh, was the inker on it. So it's not a bad cover. It shows uh, Kirk and he's dragging this uh, pink haired space go go girl up some stairs while some some aliens are shooting at him in the background. But he doesn't see the alien that's waiting for him at the top of the stairs. It, it's not a bad cover. Space it's okay. tits, just like in the last. Ah, yeah. Uh, there's a connection. And it says uh, love. And it's, it looks like she's wearing a bra made of coconuts, actually. And it says love and death, which is not the name of the story inside. <laughs> I, I just love when comic book covers do that. So credits on this one. This is called The Argon Affair. And uh, credits on this one, we've got Michael Fleischer, guest script, Adam Kuber, guest penciler, Ricardo Villagran, inker, Augustin Moss, uh, letters, Michelle Wolfman, colors, Robert Greenberger, editor. Okay, I'm just going to give you the quick and dirty on this one. Here's, here's the very basic synopsis. After being waylaid by Argon pirates who all look like naked purple Kiati Mundis, Kirk and crew stop off at Starbase 10 for repairs. Only Starbase 10 is on a planet, so how the hell is it called a Starbase? I didn't get that at all. There, Kirk becomes embroiled in another go-around with the Argons, this time rescuing a hot redhead from their clutches. He brings her up to the Enterprise with him so uh, she can get acquainted with Lil Kirk just before he reveals all that he knew all the time that she was a spy and a saboteur for the Argons who are still trying to blow up the Enterprise. And now she's under arrest. And that's this issue. Wow. And uh, I'm just going to cut right to the quick and say I thought this issue sucked. Sorry. And I really feel sorry for saying that because it was written by Michael Fleischer, who I'm not exaggerating, is actually one of my favorite comic book writers. Is he the voice of Roger Rabbit? (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, next to Paul Miotti and Gray, Michael Fleischer wrote more issues of Jonah Hex than anybody and basically defined that character. So I'm not kidding. Michael Fleischer, I love the guy. He's a hell of a, a good little writer. Western I don't know what was going on to this, with this issue. In a way. Yeah. So that yeah. makes sense. But this issue was just... I t- it was I I, I, I could nitpick your, your synopsis a little bit. Because I don't... Uh, Kirk doesn't say that he knew all along she was a spy. He figured it out later when they had, like, security cams on everything. You know, he was yeah, like, basically, I was suckered up until a point, but yeah. He, he was like, I wasn't taking any chances because I was bringing a stranger on the ship. 
and then, you know, I found out she was bad, but at least I'd already gotten the chance to put the lips to her, so... Right. C'est la vie. Yeah, not a very yeah. good episode, uh, issue, and... Uh, Qbert's artwork is kind of... No, there's, there's I, a, a few think... good good things that I like about it, but it's it's very basic. I'm gonna take exception with what you just said about Kubert's art, only because the likenesses aren't bad. I'm I'm starting to get the sense that my complaint with the art in this series all along, based on the fact that we have a different penciler and the same inker. Mm -hmm. And the art looks pretty much exactly like it's looked all along. I'm going to start saying that uh, I think the problem with this book is Ricardo Villagran. Mm. I think his, his inking just isn't serving the book. But going back a moment to Adam Kubert, did this dude never see Star Trek? I mean, he does a fair job on the characters. He does a fair job on the Enterprise as a ship. But look at the interiors. Every single panel in the interior of the Enterprise, I had the same thing over and over and over again through the course of the stories. Where the hell is this supposed to be? I was going, is this is this supposed to be the bridge of the Enterprise? There was one, Is I don't know what page it was specifically. I'll see if I can find it. Where, where I was just like, is this supposed to be taking place on the... Because it's sort of shot from way above. And, then I, and right. then I determined, okay, it's the Enterprise Bridge by the context of the dialogue of the people in it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not like a, it's not bad art. It just doesn't have, and I guess, I, I think that's a really good observation about the, but, about the inking. But, even without that, the way the pages are set up and stuff, they're just kind of, it's its kind of okay. You know, Joe Kubert, I mean, isn't he supposed to be, like, one of the guys who, like, teaches new generations of, of right. artists and stuff? So This is one of his boys, yeah, because he's got, what is it, Adam and Andy, I think, is the other one. Uh -huh. So this is one of his oh, sons. Oh, okay. I'm getting... And they got better. I mean, you know, because they, they, you know, this, I don't think this is necessarily indicative of, of his later, you know, his style or anything. But yeah, it's just, here's, here's an example of what I was talking about. Look at the third panel. Basically, it's the giant inset panel on page 14. It's Spock in a very unspock-like position, leaning over a control panel, looking at like an image of, Cur where the hell is this? Yes. I mean, that's not the bridge of the Enterprise. It, it's really, I mean, no, this it would looks be like, like something... something stuck on one side. It would be like a coming off the side of the bridge of the Enterprise. Yeah, it's not part of a round right. room. This almost looks like, um, it looks closer to the movie Enterprise bridge than it does the classic show. But even if it was the movie one, it would still be wrong. But yeah, I just I, I saw this page and it, it, it or this panel and it just by this point I was just fed up. I was like, I'm tired of seeing these these images that just this is not the way the Enterprise looks inside. It's like he was just making it up as he was going along. Same thing, page 18, that first panel 
where the hell is that? It's this massive yeah, transporter exactly. room from above. Just yeah, yeah. It's like this giant transporter pad. This huge empty room. There's like a conveyor belt or something off to the, one the side. Controls are aimed at the door out. <laughs> right, and it's all by itself, like way off in the. It almost looks like it's like it could be on wheels, like yeah. they could wheel it around. Or it's really, really bizarre looking. But what killed it for me, well, it was there was a couple of things, but you know, this whole thing with with spot uh, with Kirk, he'd figured out the girl was was a saboteur, and then he convinced everybody on the bridge to go along with the gag and to play act and everything, to you know, all for her amusement or or you know to sucker. I don't know something. Well, he figured they would think that if if their shields were down. That you know that would, they were trying to sucker the other ship, and, right? And they didn't want to alert the other ship, so they pretend they were doing it more for the other ship's benefit than for hers. But that presupposes that the other ship then could hear everything they were saying, and that doesn't really wash either, unless they had. Their... Maybe they didn't know if she was communicating with them or not. You know. Uh, that yeah, I guess that's possible. Then there was this big soliloquy at the end about, you know, how Kirk is so unlucky in love. And it was just really bizarre. But I tell you, all that aside, the one that really threw me, let me see if I can find it. It's right at the beginning of the issue. It's, uh... okay, so Kirk and Spock... They were on the planet together, and they and is this a little related? About... Is this a little birds and the bees talk that was getting kind of yeah. creepy? Yeah, and well, then Spock says basically, well, you know, all right, well, I'm going to go back to the ship then, and and Kirk decides, well, I'm going to sightsee for a while, so you you go on ahead. So Spock's beaming up, and it actually looks like he's being vaporized, and and Kirk's thinking to himself, he says, Spock was right. I suppose I was just baiting him. Uh, or he says, I suppose I was baiting him just a little. It seems as long as we've known each other, he and I have, and his thought gets interrupted. I'm thinking, what what was he about to say? I know. What was he thinking? Well, well, let's talk about their little conversation beforehand where Kirk is kind of like, hey, Spock, don't you ever think about, you know, getting a little romance in there? And Spock it's a romance (laughs) is illogical. And then then that follows right up on that conversation. Right. Yeah, and it's it's almost but this is before well, no, I don't think this is before there was probably slash fiction. Or it might be a little nod towards, you know, it might be just a little nod towards that. Or it might just have worked out that way. It just could be some awkward writing, but it has that feel of that like Kirk and Spock having some sort of weird little relationship. Right. Yeah, I, I, well I totally established by this point. I, okay, yeah. so I totally picked up I totally picked up on that too and was just like I don't I I'm I could go either way as to whether it was intentionally put in there or if it was just a little bit of awkward writing. But uh yeah. Because that's actually addressed in the very beginning of the novelization for Star Trek the Motion Picture. There's actually a mention made of, um, you know, the rumors or, you know, the the whatever, you know, the how close they really gossip. Were. Yeah. Of, of possibly them having a relationship. And it's written that part of the book anyway is actually written as if it's Kirk's memoirs. 
And he just laughs the whole thing off saying essentially, you know, well, I'm Captain Kirk. And if I was ever going to get it on with somebody, you know, I sure as hell wouldn't pick somebody that only goes into heat every seven years. You know? <laughs> so. That's true. <laughs> So he kind of sloughs the whole thing. Well, off, the, I so. mean that whole that that whole that whole subgenre was created by people who just wanted to see that, you know, mostly right. ladies. Yeah. There's for some reason that's very exciting to the ladies. So, eh, whatever. <laughs> More power to them. Yeah. <laughs> right away. <laughs> Well, I've probably blown my chances of ever getting a uh, a Michael Fleischer interview now, but uh, I just it had to be said. I just I really thought this was a bad yeah, you story. Should stick I'm sorry. to Roger Rabbit cartoons. <laughs> or Superman. But that's cartoons. all I got. And you know, but hey, to, but dude, to... it's only going to go up because next month is the return of Harry Mudd. Yeah, because I was just going to say ass down. Yeah. Because you are... I didn't, <laughs> I did not. It's not because you are mistaken, and it's sir. not because you asked for it. It's because you asked the return of Harry Mud. <laughs> doesn't even make sense. Because you asked. Oh, you're right. It doesn't say because you asked for it. Just because you asked. What did uh... we ask? <laughs> could you please not bring back Harry? That Mudd? could That's actually that would actually work in that statement. So maybe that is what happened. I don't know. Uh, good God. Well, maybe it'll be drawn by somebody really awesome or something. I don't know. Maybe I you know maybe maybe it'll end up being spectacular. Sure. I, I don't know if we pointed this out before, but from here on, everything we're covering comics related now is is all brand new to the both of us. So mm-hmm. you know, you you never know. Who knows? Well, whatever it'll be, it'll be our... Oh, you know what? We do. We have we have an important uh, we have an important function that we have to uh, we have to fulfill before we wrap this. Yeah. One well, up. I usually just keep a gallon jug by the by on my floor. <laughs> Not that oh. function. <laughs> oh crap! You're right. All right. All right. Let's pick see a what... good one. For God's sake, man! Pick a good it's one. It's not me. It's a computer, man. I'm kicking it. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully the cat, that keeps it in line. It might piss it off, though. Forty-two. Forty-two sure is. <gasps> I think this is a good one. Forty-two is obsession, and I seem to recall this is a pretty good episode. Obsession is the second James Blish. Star Trek story I read. This is the one ah. with the. This is the one that with the creature that Kirk ran into when he was younger. Right, the, smell the vampire of, cloud. The smell right. of honey. Right. The yeah. Smell of honey in the air. Yes. <laughs> this one is. I think is pretty is pretty awesome. good. If I recall. I think now, granted, they couldn't really do this on sixty television, but I think that episode would be a lot better. If it smelled of ass, that big cloud, I think that would be hilarious. Well, the, uh, when we get to it, when we get to it, there were a series of um, there were a series of meme-like internet videos concerning gas <laughs> in, in that episode. That's right. That's that right. might be where, where that idea popped into your head. That might be where that wafted in, into. 
I just want to see that, that done in that episode where you see Kirk like, Jesus, so I'm beefed. Scotty. <laughs> it was a haggis, sir. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. You can take it out right there. I think that's yeah. funny. <laughs> it was the haggis. <laughs> dedication hey where is everybody Arnold Bill hmm well I'll look for them after I do the dedication the show must go on welcome back friends to the Star Trek monthly Monday long-distance dedication I'm Morgan Freeman and it's been a while since you heard from me I was involved in a situation in Milan with the Monster Corps, which, unfortunately, I think my friends here, Bill and Arnold, may have gotten into a little bit of trouble, so I'm going to be a little brief with this dedication. Our dedication this month goes out to Locira, the lovely lady who has been giving the men of the Enterprise a little trouble, and that she is just looking for a way to survive. Good night, and God bless. At first I was afraid, I was petrified. Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. 
Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids, good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.